Hey everyone, my name is Nick. And my name's Kat. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Made for You and Me, an educational and entertaining podcast about the history, geology, wildlife, and other fun facts within America's best idea, the national parks. Kat, it's finally Friday. Woo! We made it. We did. I've got a, a pup in my lap. Yes, Cat <laughs> is dog sitting for the weekend. Peppa is in the house. Pep, pep, pep it up. She's running sound for us today, so <laughs> we're really thankful for your contribution to the podcast, Pepper. She said, you're welcome. She is What's a up? little frou-frou dog, a Bichon, what's the second word? A Bichon free. Free, a Bichon free. She's the cutest little thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. It was, Kat surprised me today, actually. I didn't know she was dog-sitting for the weekend, and I got here, and little Pep greeted me, and mm-hmm. I was I was just thrilled, so thrilled. I love I love um, getting a little pep time. She's yeah, she's a special dog. Sweet we spend a lot angel. of time with her. I weirdly, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, how was your week, Nick? Um, my week has been actually so good. I, I feel like every time you ask me, I'm like, I had the best week ever, and I don't want anyone to think that like I'm just super fake or like you know just hmm. extremely like only I, I would never just like that, that person yeah. who's like you know always sunshine rainbows right. puppies because um, I do have my down days but I, I I really did have a super good week the weather was phenomenal mm. and I'm one of those people who's very driven by the weather so uh, to have such good sunny beautiful right. not super hot or cool days um, was just really great and it was very conducive to all the walks that I got to take the pup on <laughs> Um, really nice. I also finished my October book by the skin of my teeth. I finished it this morning, October 30th. Um, so I was a little worried I wasn't going to get it, but I did. It was so good, and I, I'm ready for the weekend. I appreciate you taking us on your book journey. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we get an update on on where you are in your book each week, and I need that. I mean, I would wonder now, where is Nick in his book? Well, I'm starting a new book on tomorrow maybe tonight we'll see um and i'm really stoked for that i got it out of so in where cat and i live we have a bunch of neighborhood libraries scattered throughout the neighborhood so whenever ron walks um you can put away a book that you recently finished and then pick up a new one and so i got my new book out of one of those libraries the other day and i cannot remember the title of it but it looked good so that's such a sweet idea that people have started it's I love so the cute. little libraries i really love it uh, yeah, I'm all for it. And so I don't know if I am going to donate Gone Girl. That's the book I just finished <laughs> because it was actually so good and I kind of want to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. It I've was heard it was really good. good. Yeah. I, um, everyone who I told that I was reading it, they were like, is this your first time? And I was like, well, first of all, I'm not the type of person to read books multiple times, but I was like, oh, yeah, it's my first time. But like, did I miss the Gone Girl train like years ago? And apparently I did. Because uh, a bunch of people have read it. Like, everyone I talk to has read it, um, except you, Kat. <laughs> of course. But I am one, I, I joined the club. Um, it was extremely good. So, would recommend. Well, let me borrow it and I'll see if I can learn how to read. Okay, tight. Um, that's also a good, I would definitely recommend that for like a starter if you're trying to get into reading because it was really captivating. Okay. Yeah, it's like as good as it's talked up to be. Yeah. In my um, opinion. I'm really looking forward to November 24th because that's when school's over for the semester and yeah and there's a lot of other things that are ending and I'm just gonna have some free time that I have you know uh space to fill with things like reading books and planting and love that for you I'm excited on your behalf thanks uh did you have a good week 
had a good week. Um, not as good as yours, definitely, mm. but I voted. Heck that yes. was exciting. Very exciting. My fiance voted, and he had to go to another state and vote, so that was a big deal. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that. I got this really long cardboard tube for my trick-or-treaters. Oh, perfect. So it's right over there. But yeah, so I get to decorate that um, tomorrow and get ready for very few children to be trick-or-treating, mm. but... Um, but for those who are trick or treating, you're what are you ready. dressing up as? I'm not dressing. Up. Like, <gasps> you're gonna give I've out never... candy and not dress up? Well, we're doing it social distancing. Like we're gonna be on our front porches, and then I'm gonna like set a table out like on the sidewalk in front of the house, and so people aren't even gonna like really see me. I'm just gonna be on the porch waving to everyone who comes by and be a good like 25 feet for people. So you should dress up like. Someone that I have plays. a Ninja Turtle onesie from years okay. ago, so if nothing else, I'll do that. I have but. a Care Bear onesie you could borrow. It's really cute. <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> we have a solid 25 hours before trick-or-treating begins, so oh. I'll, I'll, um, I'll let you know soon. So I'm thinking of dressing up like RBG because mm. RIP, RIP, but RBG. also very easy costume. But now that I have Pepper... I'm thinking there's a lot of, like, things I could do with Pep, you know? Yeah. So my name's Kat, and one year I went out with my friend, and I was a cat, and she, we brought her dog with us, and she was a queen, so we were reigning cats and dogs. I love that. But she's also the type of dog that most, like, evil villains have, and they just, like, stroke, mm. so I could just sit on the porch and, like, stroke you her. just straight up be an evil villain. I mean, she does look like the... The dog from um, one of the, I think it was Red Dragon. It puts the lotion on the skin. Or um, was that? I have no idea what that is. Yeah, no, Cannibal. Like it puts lotion on the skin or else it gets the hose again thing. What are you talking about? Oh, man. <laughs> okay. It's where he traps the girl in the thing and he like puts. <laughs> okay, I'm done. What? <laughs> no clue what you're saying. I can't believe you don't know that. I know a reference that you don't know. Yeah, in pop anyway. culture. Um, well, I will, we'll discuss this okay, off yeah, the later. record because I really want to know what I'm missing out on, but it's like you're speaking another language. I have no idea what you're saying. Anyway, shall we dive in? I think we shall. Cool. Today, we're going to be discussing the Petrified Forest National Park, and this place is actually really cool. It's really weird. It's so cool. It's really neat. Um, I'm, I'm so glad we started this because I'm realizing that there's so much I don't know about our country. We're learning a ton, a ton. As, we, as we do this and educate everyone else. Uh, yeah, and Petrified Forest is um, similar to Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve. The name is misleading, but we'll clear that up for you. We certainly will. Absolutely. All right. So let's begin. Petrified Forest National Park is a national park in Navajo and Apache counties in southeast Arizona that is named for its large deposits of petrified wood. <gasps> How exciting! Surprise! And we later will delve into what petrified wood is. Indeed. We're not going to leave you hanging. We will discuss that. It is 346 square miles, making it roughly the size of Dallas, Texas. Um, and so also geology is going to be a major, major component of this episode. So I'll be brief and then Kat's going to get into it a little bit more. But it includes semi-desert grasslands and highly eroded badlands. Kat, do you know what badlands are? I do, as a matter of fact. Do you want to explain it or shall I? Um, I think you go and then I will elaborate if I have anything else to Sounds elaborate good. on. 
So badlands are a type of dry terrain where softer sedimentary rocks and clay-rich soils have been extensively eroded by wind and water. And they're characterized by steep slopes, minimal vegetation, and lack of substantial topsoil. They can resemble terrain created by volcanic rock, canyons, ravines, gullies, um, and other geologic forms common in badlands. And they're often difficult to navigate by foot, and they have a spectacular color display that alternates from dark black and blues to reds. Yes, yes, that's what I have. So um, the if you look at the Badlands in this particular national park, which are the teepees, um, they're called the teepees Badlands. Oh. Um, they're cone-shaped hills, and they have like perfect... I knew I was going to try to say this word, and it wasn't going to come out right, but it has layers. <laughs> <laughs> striated anyway um, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about the way that I talk but anyway um striated layers I mean they are absolutely breathtaking and people say once you get to that part of the park you stop and you want to take pictures from every it. angle it's amazing yeah it looks really cool in the pictures and we only give you such a deep description of Badlands so that you can get a good picture of what this park is like it's pretty barren um, Badlands is a very fitting name um, and whenever we, t- we talk about uh, canyons and ravines and gullies and areas that have been eroded by wind and water um, for the most part it's a really barren kind of super dry area um, and badlands makes perfect sense all one word by the way badlands, badlands. not like bad lands but badlands badlands yeah um, Petrified Forest National Park averages about 5,400 feet in elevation, and it has a dry, windy climate with temperatures that vary in summer um, around 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and winter lows typically go well below freezing. There are more than 400 species of plants, which are mostly types of grass. Mm. <laughs> so again, pretty barren. It was established in 1962, and in 2018, it had 644,922 visitors, which is not bad. How does that compare to last week? Uh, It's more than Great Sand Dunes. Yeah. But not by a ton, but more. I think it's more than the other one, too. Pinnacles? Pinnacles. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It was, I think, if we're remembering correctly. So, what shall we talk about next, Kat? Do you want to talk about the history or really explain what a petrified forest is? Well, interestingly enough, that is history, and it's earlier than your history, so we might as well start. Way back. All right, let's begin. So, at this point, you're probably asking yourself, what is petrified wood? Did it see a ghost? (laughs) (laughs) Does it have to meet the in-laws for the first time? (laughs) <laughs> what petrifies you, Nick? Oh, um, bad jokes. <laughs> no, just kidding. I well, did, actually didn't hear those before um, <laughs> before we started recording. Just now. I heard this in real time, just like you all. And those were actually so good, Kat. Um, I would say what petrifies me most are probably cockroaches inside the house. Mm, yes. And, you know, that's really all I can think of. Yeah, I... I hate a cockroach more than anything, honestly. In the area of the country where we live, they are inevitable, Mm -hmm. and they don't discriminate. There will be cockroaches in trailers, and there will be cockroaches in giant beach mansions. Oh, absolutely. They're everywhere. 
Um, so they they definitely petrify me. I actually like whenever it's time to, for me to kill a cockroach, I don't just like kill the cockroach. I annihilate the thing because there's no second chances. You know, those things scurry the heck away so fast. You get one chance and I have ruined the paint on some walls. <laughs> We've ruined down the ceiling, yeah. <laughs> because you just like... You just can't take chances. You have to destroy the thing. Well, I cut its little head off and put it on dental floss and hang it from the ceiling so all the other cockroaches see it and they know to stay away. That's intense. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm going to get it, really weird Do today. whatever you can. <laughs> I've already gotten weird. Get ready for it. That's it gets fine. weirder. It's October 30th. It's it, Friday it's just, it's after Friday, five. Freaky Friday. It's just weird time. Sure. So get weird. Oh, it's almost a full moon. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. All right. So we're going to go back 250 million years ago. Casual. Way back to Pangaea. Okay. So, and when pterodactyls ruled the earth during the Triassic period. At that time... <laughs> All of the confinements were one. Oh, confinements is <laughs> Was that autocorrect? You were just reading it completely wrong. It was autocorrect. <laughs> the no, confinement. I can't, I can't even think of what the real word Consonant? Is. Yeah. There you go. So all the continents <laughs> were one. And before they separated and moved, what is now Arizona was actually closer to the equator. So ecosystems close to the equator all the time are more tropical in nature. So we have tropical rainforests now. Mm. So at that time during Pangaea, long, long time ago, western Arizona, where this national park exists, had a ton of trees, some over 200 feet tall and 10 feet in diameter. Dang. And water and lots and lots of wildlife. So how did the trees become petrified? Well, Arizona used to be home to over a thousand volcanoes that are now extinct, which I think is a weird word because they still are there. So they're not active volcanoes. (laughs) Um, They would erupt all the time and the ash would move by wind all over the place. So, in fact, there was so much ash released that it now has its own layer in the formation of all of these uh, geological features that we see there. And it's called the Chinle Formation. It's about 400 feet deep. And Chinle is the Navajo word for flowing out. That's a lot of ash. Yeah. 400 feet. Of course, some ash ended up in water, right? Right. And the makeup of ash has silica, which dissolves in water, but can recrystallize later on. So back to the trees. When trees died during the time that Pangaea existed, they would often fall into water. And there were so many that actually fell into the water, they created dams like beavers, Mm -hmm. and those are called log jams. Log jams. (laughs) Very appropriately named. Well, when that water and mud all covered up the trees with the ash, and the ash had the silica in it, it created an environment with little oxygen. And what I'm assuming, I didn't figure this out exactly, the methane, the silica, and everything came together. And as the trees broke down, the silica actually recrystallized in the tree to form quartz crystals. Quartz crystals. <laughs> Making them into stone, which is fascinating. It's so, very, so, so it's basically stoned wood. Exactly. Wow. And that's not what I expected. Even when I looked at the pictures, I was like, oh, that's, that's not right. the tree. But no, all those stones are 
old trees. Right. So although petrified wood is flaky and seems fragile, it's harder than steel. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. It took over 60 million years um, for the oceans to actually come off of the trees. Mm-hmm. And so then every all the other elements were exposed to it, and that's why they have different colors and things like that. Uh, some of the elements turn them white, blue, green, yellow, pink, orange, or iridescent black. And the uh, it depended on the way that what environment the trees fell in, whether it was muddier or waterier or whatever, how decomposed they were already with how well they were petrified and if you can still see the rings in them or mm. not. So there are some that you can still see bark. Wow. Yeah, and some of them are just like, seem like rocks. So that's crazy. That's so crazy. 200... M- million years old is how old these trees are so what does it look like today actually before we get into today i guess we should go into your history okay right that sounds good yeah so that's that's how the trees got there i'll also just add a tidbit mm-hmm. so this is a national park today and i think it's really special to point out that not all national parks are just like these beautiful scenic landscapes of just like really really tall mountains and waterfalls and canyons even though there are places in petrified forest national park that you do want to take photos of and put all over instagram the petrified forest itself is just like fallen broken logs Mm -hmm. spread around so i say that to say it's really cool and i think we should recognize that this area is preserved and became a national park just because it's so cool and it needed to be protected and it needed to be studied and preserved and left alone because it's it's i mean it's just a really really cool thing that we have in our country um and even though it's not like you know extremely beautiful and insta worthy uh it's still an extremely interesting thing it's also the largest contiguous amount of fossils in North America, I believe, and almost in the world. Yeah, see? So so I just think that's... I just wanted to add that. I think that's super yeah. important. Um, so thanks, National Park Service. Thanks. All right, so let's get into my history as well. So I'm going to talk about two parts of history, pre-U.S. history and U.S. history. And I'm going to mention, I think, once, maybe twice, the 2,200 million years like you did, but I'm not going to quite quite get into it um, at the level that you did. So we're going to go back only 12,000 years. So in Petrified Forest National Park, there are more than 1,200 archaeological sites inside the boundaries of the park, suggesting that the earliest inhabitants of the park arrived over 12,000 years ago. Mm. And there are three periods we're going to talk about. First is the Archaic Period. And that is between 8,000 and 1,000 BCE. And there were nomadic groups during this time that established seasonal camps in the petrified forest. Oh, Pep, what are you whining about? Go see Cat. Go see her. Um, Pepper's job was done because we got the mic set up and everything. And now she doesn't know what to do. And so she's just being a whiny little sweet girl who just wants to be involved. During this time, nomadic groups established seasonal camps in the petrified forest, and they hunted antelope and deer and harvested seeds from Indian rice grass, which is a staple food for native people. 
Then we go to Basket Maker 2, period. What? <laughs> Which I think is such I a cool that. name. Yes. Um, and that came right after the Archaic period. And this is really just marked by uh, the first cultivation of maize and the first creation of the basket to collect harvests. Interesting. So, again, very appropriately named. And then we go to Basket Maker 3, period. <laughs> During this Someone just time, got lazy. I know, I know. <laughs> You're right. But during this time, families began to occupy the pit-dwelling houses in the area that's now Petrified Forest National Park. They were making pottery, and society became more sophisticated, um, which means that they socialized with other tribes and began trading and stuff. So between 200 and 700 CE, Common Era, families occupied the area full-time. They built houses in today's Petrified Forest, and large villages were formed. Food was stored long-term. And people from this point on in history are known as the Pueblo people. And one of the structures in Petrified Forest National Park is called the Agate House. And it's a small masonry structure built from petrified wood that is open to the public today. Hmm. And that was built um, well over 500 years ago. So between 1250 and 1450, Pueblo families gathered in large apartment building-like masonry structures and these villages were located near important water sources. Obviously, you need water to live. And some rooms in these buildings actually didn't have windows. And they could only be entered by climbing a ladder through a hole in the roof. Oh, I've seen pictures of that, but I didn't know that was the only way. I don't get it. I don't it. get it. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't get it. I bet it was because of the monsoons. So that... Good point. Ooh. Um... She's a demanding little girl. We love Pepper, though. We'll do anything for her. Yeah, maybe it was part of the monsoons. Yeah, because your house went and flooded. It was... Whatever the reason, that would just be interesting, having to get into a room through a ladder in the roof. So, but persistently dry climates are thought to have led the Pueblo people uh, to migrate into towns in northern Arizona and New Mexico, um, where there are descendants of the ancient petrified forest farmers today. Hmm. They still live there today. Cool. So that is pre-U.S. history. Okay. And I hope that didn't sound too dry, but I think it's really, really, really important to include that because not all history just took place when white man came along. No, I think it's very important. And, I mean, I didn't know that there were possibly more than three basket weaving periods. Yeah. So no basket maker. Oh. Get it right, cat. But you're well, can right. Can you make a basket without weaving? I don't know. <laughs> yes, you can do... No. Okay. Anyway, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Google that later. So now let's talk about the U.S. history part of Petrified Forest National Park. So after the Southwest became part of the United States, explorers continued to look for east-west routes, specifically along the 35th degree line of latitude, which goes through Arizona. And in 1853, a crew led by U.S. Army Lieutenant Emil Whipple surveyed a sandy wash. And a sandy wash is actually a dry creek that seasonally or temporarily fills with water after a flash flood. And this was along the northern part of the petrified forest. And Whipple was so impressed with the petrified wood along the banks of the wash that he named it Lithodendron Creek, otherwise known as Stone Tree Creek. Okay. So exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It literally looks like rocks. Like yes. you would think it's a it's a rock, which it like technically is, but it started off as wood. So cool. 
Um, and then geologist Jules Marcao, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, a member of the Whipple expedition, observed that the petrified trees were from the Triassic period, which took place 257 to 199 million years ago. A very long time. That's just wild. So a wagon road was built between 1857 and 1860. Get that mailman! I like, obviously I'm going to have to edit around this, but I don't want to cut out too much out because she's, I just love, I'm obsessed with Pepper. She can do no wrong. Did you get to mailman? Did you get him? Did you get him to go away? Oh my goodness, he's such a good protector. Um, but anyway, a wagon road was built. Um, and homesteaders who stayed in that area developed cattle ranches on the grasslands from the petrified forest. So people were occupying the area. Um, there is, wasn't like too much they could do other than utilize the gr- grasslands because, again, this is a very deserted area. Yes. So I don't even know how these people were there for that long. Um, and so increasing tourists and commercial interest in the petrified wood area during the late 19th century began to alarm residents of the region. And actually... In 1895, we didn't discuss this in our History of the National Park Service episodes, but in 1895, the Arizona Territorial Legislature asked U.S. Congress to create a petrified forest national park. What? Yeah, so, I mean... There's ob- so much to the story. There's It's the it's the biggest story. I think we did a really good job in those first two episodes, yeah. but it really, like, we could have nine episodes on it. Um, so, obviously, their first attempt failed, but in 1906, thanks to the Antiquities Act signed by President Theodore Roosevelt, it was used to create Petrified Forest National Monument, which was the second national monument. And then, between 1934 and 1942, the Federal Civilian Conservation Corps built roads, trails, and structures in the monument, and the government acquired additional land in the Painted Desert section of the park, and the monument became a national park in 1962. But it doesn't quite end there. Six years after signing the Wilderness Act in 1964 by President Lyndon B. Johnson, um, the park was allowed to also incorporate wilderness areas into the park. Um, And I think, Kat, we should do a separate episode on what the wilderness is because in a lot of our research um, we're finding that like there's a difference between wilderness and park so right now we'll simplify by saying wilderness area really just limits human activity Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to it and we will have another episode on that so then in 2004 president george w bush signed a bill authorizing the eventual expansion of the park from 93,353 acres to 218,533 acres. So more than double. Oh. So this place got really big in 2004. Good, because that's about the time Arizona was, like, exploding and people were moving there. Like, well, I mean, they had been for a while, but... And, and, you know, when it's vast land like that, people just move. Exactly, yeah. And so it needed to be protected, yes. Nice. Um, And that's all I got on history. Ooh, so now we're here today. Do we want to take a break? Oh, we don't yes. have to, but um, I think it would be good just for us to take a break. Wet my whistle. Give Pepper some lovies. Oh my gosh! Pep, pep, cool. pep it up. Pep, 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 pep it up. What's up? Ah, ah, pep, pep, pep. Cool. Well, stay tuned. We'll be back. And we're back. Boop, boop. Back again. 
Uh, uh, Check yeah, it, direct yeah, yeah. it, let's begin. Party on, party people, uh, let me hear uh, some noise. Uh, Do you see in the house? Don't jump for joy. Thank you. We're so white. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's okay. Uh, cool. So we are we back. Apologize. We've told you about Pangea. We've told you about the native people and how Petrified Forest National Park became a national park. And it's not really a forest in the typical sense of the word. So now it's time for... Cat's Critter Corner. <laughs> Thanks. That was cute. I like it. I, I that was just that just came to me off the top of my head. I didn't practice that or anything. Well, it I'm was just that genuinely talented. Absolutely beautiful. Cool. So, what you got for us today, Cat? Well, we looked this up because we disagreed when you first came over which way it was. But regardless, the Painted Desert National Park and the Petrified Forest National Park are Russian nesting dolls of parks. Is Painted Desert a national park? You keep saying it's a national park, but I think it's just like an an area. I saw a national park. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, okay. On the national park page. Wait, really? Yes. It said they're not two separate parks. They're just Russian nesting dolls parks. Yeah. Well, while you look that up. This I is confusing. Don't believe you. I don't believe you. Okay, that's fine. I, don't believe you. <laughs> I told you I stared at it a lot, and I even like searched it again, and potentially, you know, I didn't see what was real. Anyway, <clears throat> to make it even more confusing, the painted desert is not a desert; it's a prairie. Oh yeah, that is very confusing. I've often called areas that look like this a furry desert. So if you needed a mental image, that's what it looks like. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing anywhere that it's a national park. We'll, we definitely need a blog. I guess so. I mean, okay, agree so to disagree, but I don't see this. They exist within each other somehow. Yes, Painted Desert is a place. It's a real life place. Don't know like what it, it like is officially like its title. But, Pepper, you are the loudest eater. (laughs) This girl. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine. (laughs) I'm just trying to have my dinner. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Uh, She looks like the dog on her food. She does. She does. So either way, it's a Russian nesting doll situation. The what it is is kind of ambiguous, but painted desert. It's a thing. It is a thing, but it's more of a prairie, technically. Yes. Okay. To which I respond, dear National Park Service, please find a new public relations and or marketing person to name your parks. She went there. We would be much more interested in what you boast about on your website, that there are fossils, badlands, butts, mesas, ancient petroglyphs, glyphs (laughs) wildlife and wildflowers and vast vistas for hundreds of miles i mean what there are so many things in there and you called it the petrified forest you heard it here first guys if petrified forest national park gets a rebranding here in the near future you know where it started well yeah that and the great sand dunes starting a movement (laughs) so my point is we've already covered what a badland is a butt, B-U-T-T-E-S, 
is an isolated hill with steep sides. <laughs> so immature. Never heard of that. But similar or but narrower than a mesa. And the mesa, you know, the blue mesa is something you can look up about the petrified forest. It's absolutely yes. beautiful. Um, but even if you just called it the Badlands Butts, People would be more interested than the petrified forest. I mean, I would. <laughs> All right. So Although anyway. petrified is a pretty cool word. I think it's more of like a um, uh, a fad type of word, you know, petrified. Yes. I mean, I've only been alive for like less than 30 years, so maybe it's always been like a cool, interesting word. But either way, it's intriguing, I think. I think even the word fossil is more intriguing than petrified, though. Okay. Which is what they are. I, I am picking up <clears> what you're putting down. Sorry. I hate to bring my negativity into this, but I also you don't hate. care. You go for it. Um, I love you, National Park Service. I will do this for you if you hire me. Much like <laughs> other places we've for discussed, <laughs> the petrified forest is a habitat to a variety of animals, including amphibians, birds, insects, spiders, mammals, and reptiles. As you can imagine, due to the extreme heat and other weather conditions, they play, eat, and sleep at different times than normal animals in other areas. Most of the critters you see here do their chores and errands at dawn or dusk. And a lot of them also do it at night. Um, so there's not a lot of critter activity out and about in the middle of the day because it's so hot. Exactly. They suggest if you do want to see any critters that you go at dawn or dusk to gotcha. the park as early as possible. So it also changes seasonally how active they are. So I looked up, ironically, the monsoon season. That's probably why I was thinking about that. Ooh. And the websites I found said that animals will literally just stand in the rain or become more active. That's dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> They're in like their own sad music video, just standing in the rain. Yes, that is exactly what happens. And it's a little bit, I mean, in other countries it's sadder, but yeah, this is sad. So on to our first bundle of furry love, the North American porcupine. Oh, <laughs> tell us about it. So according to the Smithsonian, porcupines are rodents. They're one of the largest rodents in North America, weighing around 20 pounds. Wow. You can find these porkers in the grasslands. Their diet is seasonal, very healthy, and mostly plant-based. They waddle around until fall or early winter when they start to sing and dance to show off their excellent genes to future mates. Uh, uh, get it. <laughs> when the male porcupine urinates on the female, she knows he's into her. Sick. <laughs> Their noses also look like they just got stung by a bee all the time. Aww. Yeah. So anyway, good thing this is not what we all know the porcupine for. <laughs> what do we know the porcupine for? Most of us, 30 or older, will associate porcupines with Homeward Bound and Chance. That was what I went to. Yeah. Oh, I figured. we will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not. In the category of 30 or older yet, so. 30-something. <laughs> um, he was a good that's, pup. That's my, that's my mind, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I went straight straight to uh, Homeward Bound. Oh, that was such a sad scene. And why was it sad? Because he got stung. Chance, or not stung, because Chance got quilled. Yeah. Into the face. So, so how do you think that happened? Because he was sniffing around. He was in the porcupine's business. Well, whether, you know, you watch Homeward Bound as a child or not, um, you probably think that they shoot these two to three inch quills out to defend themselves against danger. 
which is what most of us have heard, which is actually untrue. I probably would have thought that. <laughs> You're like, oh, I never even God, thought about it. Let's go on my lap. Okay. Happy. Go, girl. The porcupine has over 30,000 just barely attached quills. 30,000? Yes. Wow. Yes. And they look fabulous. They look like a squirrel going to prom. Like, That's awesome. Well, some of them do. Some of them are very ugly. Whoa. But there's some really beautiful porcupines out there. So the quills just come off easily when something gets all up in their business. They okay. can't. They can't do anything to make them come out. So wow. those dogs, all those dogs you see, they have literally put their face that hard into the uh, porcupine. Okay. So still sad because dogs are the greatest thing ever, and I hate a dog getting hurt. But less sad because the porcupine didn't necessarily like straight up attack the dog. Right. They're really sweet little chonkers. So is it kind of like a cactus where all you really have to do is like Mm -hmm. brush up against it and you get all those in you? It's a very good example. Okay. I agree. Cool. So Justice for the porcupine. Yeah. They don't even like they have to display their plumage for their quills to come out. So they usually just want to run away from you. Yeah. But they also have a little barbed tail. Their tail has little quills on it. Wow. These are some badass animals. They're very uh, cute. Well, also cuter than we thought, uh-huh. and um, they probably have a bad rap. So, ironically, the next animal is the very opposite. So, it was inspired by an interview I heard over the weekend with the president of the National Audubon Society. Uh-huh. And um, this is one of the most aggressive birds in the world. Can you guess what it is? A uh, falcon? It's a really good guess. Oh, thank you. But I don't know. Tell me. It's actually the Roadrunner. Oh, the Roadrunner's aggressive? As aggressive as you thought the porcupine was, the Roadrunner is a thousand times more aggressive. Oh, my If gosh. you are eating right now, you should probably turn this off <laughs> because I've got to break it down. Okay. This is really fascinating. Explicit content. Explicit, yes. It's for Animal Kingdom explicit content. So the cartoon g- did get some things right. They do just mostly run around really fast and they don't fly. Okay. So we got that. Here's the crazy part. They eat almost only meat. What? So they are actually the only predator to the tarantula hawk, which is just as scary as it sounds. Wow. Um, And they would rather... St- Stab their beak into something than to ever run oh, away from it. My gosh. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> so, just like the tarantula hawk, they would rather have a snake or another bird to eat. And they literally skewer their prey with their beak and then they tenderize it by beating it on the what? ground. <laughs> It's called the centrifugal slam. It literally has a name. Oh, my gosh. Brutal. So it it stabs, and then it beats it, and then it swallows it whole. So what is it pulverizing and then beating and then swallowing? What kind of animals does the Roadrunner eat? Pretty much anything that it can. So what? Yes. So um, I was not shocked by the fact that it ate... everything whole because we've watched our chickens eat some things whole that were unexpected and I was like oh man but the Roadrunner's a little bit different because the Roadrunner really likes to eat snakes savage and the Roadrunner is only two feet long from beak to tail 
So is that smaller or bigger than some of your chickens? Oh, it's probably about the same size, but like a smaller body. Okay. But you know how long snakes are. No, yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, so what it does is it just gobbles down lunch, and it leaves dinner hanging out of its mouth while it digests lunch. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's insane. Mm -hmm. I never knew any of it. I actually have never even thought about Outside of, like, the last time I watched Space Jam, I've never thought about a Roadrunner. Yeah, I know. I, I've been to areas where they are, and they're super cute, and I really love seeing them. I had no idea. They are, they're the, like, craziest, aggressive bird out there. Wow. Yes. Okay. So Well, now maybe. you know, everyone. <laughs> yeah. The coyote, once again, got a bad rap, and it was probably really the Roadrunner that deserved it. Yeah. So those are my two aminals. Shoot, those were good aminals, Thanks. Kat. <laughs> but um, I do have some more things to say. So one of the biggest issues in this park is people actually taking things from it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find what the you know square footage was or anything like that of what they did, but they tested some sites and to see how long it took for pe- like for the site to be. Um, drained of all of its rocks Uh and it was a week so everyone feels like they're just taking a little piece with them and um you know it it adds up really so we wanted to remind you from the national park service that you do not remove any natural or cultural objects from the park including fossils rocks animals plants and artifacts do not relocate objects within the park this changes the context of the object context where and how fossils and artifacts are found and described and is as important as the objects themselves, with a minimum fine of $325 for removal or damage to petrified wood or other natural or cultural artifacts and features. Oh, yeah. so there. Leave it alone. That's literally the point of a national park is for it to be left the heck alone. It's a privilege to be there, practice some restraint, and take a picture, and then don't take it with you. Leave yeah. it there. Well, and so you can actually find petrified wood in every single state, in almost every country. I read that. It's not an uncommon phenomenon. This is just like the biggest forest of them. Right. So if you're really interested in it, you can definitely find some in your state that's not in a national park. Um, That's not the most shocking thing to me, though. So the petroglyphs. These are like the ancient rock carvings that are throughout the park. People try to take those. Oh, no. Yes. Isn't that like just so rude? I would. I like to think that people who visit national parks are like you and I and have a bunch of respect for these places and not the people going and defacing like the people to visit national parks aren't the type of people who go and vandalize and steal. Stop it, everybody. Stop. I mean, it's it's illegal for a reason. Right. You are special, but you can also take a memory with you instead of a thing. And if you want to see the ancient rock carvings, which are beautiful, they're all over the interwebs. Yeah. And it's so much, actually, from any of the points that you, I think there's like one place where you can see them up close, but any of the points that are like lookouts, you have to have binoculars to see them well. So you might as well not go off the trail and like, get in trouble and just see them online and like remember your time there can you hear um 
Pep's breathing into mm-hmm. the microphone. <laughs> she's very oh happy. My God, she's a very happy panty girl. Yeah, so if and when you go visit Petrified Forest National Park, don't take anything. If you have been there and you have taken something, make a trip and put it back. Mm, maybe. I don't know. They said to not move it at all. Like not. Well, that's that's my know, recommendation. Bit. Well, or do something good. Maybe donate to the National Park Service or there something of that yes, nature. Yeah. So they Give can it back hire to someone me. who knows what they're doing. <laughs> but either way, stop it. But this also goes for every national park yes. or reserve or preserve or anything. Like, just don't take things with you. Don't take things with you. You said it. We said it. It was said. It was said. Dun, dun, dun. Gosh. Do you have any fun facts? I do. I have a few fun facts. Um, and some of them are going to allow me to elaborate off of what petrified wood is, which we already talked about. But I'll be brief. Um, so, as Kat already said, uh, the logs covered in mud got jammed, and when they surfaced, the trees and wood had absorbed large amounts of minerals in the water. And over a long period of time, they basically turned to stone. I know I'm reiterating, but it's just, that's just so I cool. like the way that, yeah. Yeah, so they basically just turned to stone. There is more to the park than just petrified wood, however. There are dinosaur footprints preserved in stone, fossils of prehistoric plants and animals that have been unearthed. Oh my gosh, <laughs> unearthed? <laughs> um, fossils of prehistoric plants and animals have been unearthed, making this park a living scientific laboratory. Early Spanish explorers actually named one area of the park El Desierto Pintado, or the Painted Desert. Uh, yes. So, again, we're not, like, sure which one is bigger and if, like, Painted Desert is actually, like, an official national park. But either way, this place sounds pretty cool. And they do overlap. So, in 1540, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado was on a quest to find the seven cities of Cibola, or the seven cities of gold, which was a 16th century legend uh, that seven cities of gold could be found in the areas of New Mexico. He did not find any cities of gold, unfortunately, but on his expedition, he did pass through a wonderland of colors and named it as such, the Painted Desert. Wow. Okay, well, that makes more sense. Yes. Um, So, every single species of trees found in the park no longer exists. They're all extinct. That was one of mine. Sorry. Do you want to say it? No, I like it. No. Cool. Yeah, I thought that was really very interesting. It is. So, again, stop stealing. Sorry, that just got me heated. That's so annoying. (laughs) So, yeah, just don't steal because soon we're not even going to be able to identify the trees that no longer exist. Right. Because they won't even exist in the park. Not cool. Not cool. Uh, But what is cool is an inn called the Painted Desert Inn was built in 1924, but it's used today as a museum and gift shop. Using the designs by the National Park Service architect Lyle Bennett, the Civilian Conservation Corps reconstructed the Painted Desert Inn in the late 1930s, and today it displays murals made by the painter who is a descendant of Native people, Fred Cabalti. And it's still, like, set up like it was when it was a yeah. motel. Yeah. Yeah. So, apparently there's, um, like, you can see the the menu that has, like, the really cheap prices because it's from way oh, back in the so day cool. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a few more. Do you have any? 
Yeah, I had the Route 66 originally went through yes. the National Park, and it doesn't anymore. And um, there's actually been vegetation that has grown up over the where the road was, but there's still um, electrical lines, so you can see where it was. Oh, wow. And there's an old car just chilling out there. Yeah. And it's not dusty in the pictures I saw, which is kind of amazing. I don't know. It's a very picturesque yeah. scene, though. So maybe people like still take care of it. I don't know, just to take photos. Um, the air in Petrified Forest National Park is so clean that it's federally protected. Mm. That's nice. That's really cool. Most of the park is only accessible by foot. There are different forests, quote unquote, within the park itself, like Crystal Forest and Giant Forest, where you can explore different types of logs that were petrified in different areas with different minerals. And then other areas are so fragile that hiking's actually not allowed, such as Blue Mesa and Jasper Forest. That was one of mine, too. Did you get to the Agate Bridge? Yes, but no. That okay, was just a list kind of popular of the, places. Yeah, kind of the same for me, but it's a bridge that was one of the trees yeah. that they have reinforced so that you can walk across it. Yeah, really so that's cool. pretty cool. Yeah, some of the most popular places are that Agate Bridge, Crystal Forest, Agate House, Jasper Forest, Newspaper Rock, Tawa Point, Tirpori Point, Giant Logs, Long Logs, and Puerco Pueblo. Yeah, so I don't. I think you mentioned this earlier, but Agate House um, is a seven-room Pueblo house that was built with petrified wood. Yeah. It's like the only house that was ever built with petrified wood. That's pretty cool. And it's beautiful. It's really neat. Um, that's all I got, though, Kat. Same, I'm about talked out. Same here's. Same here's. Well, Kat, do you have any questions, comments, philosophies, intuitions, or ambiguities? I thought about this this time. I do have one. Let's hear it. I think that everyone should try their hardest to always adopt a rescue pet before they buy one. (laughs) That's a really good one. Although all dogs are precious and Pepper was not a rescue. And so, like, that makes me sad. I just think that that's one of my philosophies and I'm sticking to it. I love that. And I agree. Um, And that's, that's all we have to say about that. I mean, I have a lot more to say about that, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking care of your pet, no matter where you got them exactly. from. Exactly. Just take care. Okay, Pep, do you have any more questions, comments, philosophies, intuitions, or ambiguities, other than just being a very loud eater? Uh, I don't know, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so cute. Okay. Well, um, thanks for joining us today on our episode of Petrified Forest National Park. You can find this and many more episodes, well, five more episodes as of right now, anywhere you find your podcast. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, everywhere else. Follow us on Instagram at M-F-Y-A-M Podcast. Email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe. Give us two thumbs up and rate and all sorts of good stuff like that. Um, and thanks for your support. Happy Halloween. Even though this episode will be coming out after Halloween, we hope no one got too petrified. Thanks so much. Uh, Tune in next week for... You'll just have to wait and see. Beautiful. Bye.